I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Laura Packard. Laura is a healthcare activist and a cancer survivor, and she joins me to discuss how the Affordable Care Act saved her life. We talk about her activism during the Trump years and how she fought to keep the Affordable Care Act intact so that more people are helped in the same way that she was. We also discuss the Biden-Harris administration and their plans to strengthen the ACA, including the recent executive orders signed by President Biden. Lastly, we talk about an upcoming Supreme Court decision that just may strike down the Affordable Care Act. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Laura Packard. Laura Packard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I really want to go straight to the heart of your personal story as an advocate and as a healthcare activist, and you know, of course, as a patient, because you were diagnosed with stage four cancer, I believe, a few years ago, several years ago, mm-hmm. and you have credited the Affordable Care Act with saving your life. How so? Well, uh, about four years ago now, I walked into a doctor's office with a nagging cough and walked out with a stage four cancer diagnosis. Uh, I'm self-employed and my insurance is through the Affordable Care Act. And before the ACA, I used to have junk insurance. If I still had that junk insurance policy, today I would be bankrupt or dead. But because I had good insurance through the ACA, I was able to get through six months of chemotherapy and a month of radiation to be here in remission today. I think during the same period, I was also Mm self-employed and I had junk insurance and I had junk insurance when I gave birth to my first child. Mm -hmm, For you, mm -hmm. it saved your life because, you know, not only did it save your life, but, you know, possibly you could have gone bankrupt from all of the bills. Right, right. And so I looked at the bills after the fact, you know, at the time it was just too much to deal with getting bills every day, every week. Uh, But I went through with the calculator and it was uh, over half a million dollars in insurance bills that my insurance thankfully covered. Wow, no, no one can afford that. I mean, that's that's incredible. So were you a healthcare activist before your diagnosis? Well, I worked for the AFL-CIO and they sent me to Arkansas in 2009 uh, to work on several issues, including getting the Affordable Care Act passed in the first place. Uh, I, was, I was a young activist working for the AFL for labor. And so I worked with people that had these terrible, heartbreaking healthcare stories, but I was young and healthy. And so it was something I cared about, but it didn't affect me personally. And I had no idea that less than a decade later, the work that I was doing to pass this law would then save my life. Right. You know, I think it's kind of gone unappreciated for the most part, how much the ACA changed for people, because I've heard stories of people saying, you know, the the Affordable Care Act saved my life or it saved me from Mm -hmm. going bankrupt. But you don't often hear the personal stories of people of how exactly it saved their lives or how exactly Mm -hmm. it saved them from going bankrupt. And I remember back in, because you said that was 2009. So the Affordable Care Act, I think it passed in 2010 Mm -hmm. and 11 years ago. And I think, you know, we don't talk about how much it's changed people. Just it was a it was a huge paradigm shift. You know, before then, you know, you couldn't get health insurance if you had a pre-existing condition. And now that just seems archaic. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a whole generation of people that aren't here today because they died because they didn't have health insurance. So now you're hearing a lot more stories because we're still here. I remember a moment that was caught on video. It was back in 2018, I think. And there was this public event in Nevada. And this, <laughs> you know what I'm going, we know where I'm going with this. There was a senator by the name of Dean Heller, right, who was mm-hmm. speaking at this public event. And you were in Nevada at, the, at that time, and he was your senator. Mm-hmm. And you went into this public event because you wanted to ask questions of him because he was going to repeal or he was going to vote to repeal the ACA. 
mm-hmm. he was representing you. And you were at that. So can you tell me what happened at that event? Because it went viral. Mm-hmm. Yes, this was in December of 2017. So I had just spent several months going through chemo, then going through radiation, calling my senator every other day. Uh, and they were just about to vote on the tax cuts. Uh, or actually, maybe they already had voted. I think it was in between. Like they'd taken a preliminary vote, but they hadn't done the final vote yet on the uh, Trump tax law. And so uh, this was a Saturday, I think. So I'd had radiation the day before or whatever. And this was the only public event that Dean Heller did that I had access to that entire year. So as soon as I heard that uh, Heller was doing this event, I signed up and I showed up and uh, he was taking questions from the audience on pieces of paper. And so I'd written my question down on paper, you know, asking him about his, uh, tax uh, law vote. And then when he pulled my question and asked it, I I stood up (laughs) and his people didn't like what I had to say. So they threw me out. And you can see the video. I had just a few sentences. I asked my question and sat back down, but nope, they, uh, his security people were having none of it. Yeah, I remember that actually. So what what was it were you, I, I, I don't remember what exactly you were asking him, but what was worthy of your being thrown out? What did you say? Well, they had been throwing out people throughout that event. There were people that had asked uh, Senator Heller about his immigration votes and so on. And just anytime anybody asked a question, they got thrown out. So I knew that that was probably going to happen to me, but it was important enough. And when he asked my question, I, I, I stepped forward uh, and I was not in good shape. I'd just been through six months of chemo. I'd just been through weeks of radiation. And so I was a little worried that they were going to be arresting people because with no immune system to speak of, jail was not going to be a good place for me. But Thankfully, they didn't go that far. They just threw us out. They, they didn't take us to jail or anything. But just it's, it's astonishing to me that a sitting U.S. senator uh, didn't have answers for his constituents. His answer was just to have us evicted. Yeah, exactly. And I should rephrase that because it doesn't matter what your question is or even how you ask it. I mean, you are a constituent. You have a right to ask a question, something that you should actually be angry about <laughs> and, and, and be able to ask that question and get an answer. You know, and and I actually remember that video and I have to tell you this because I remember the video and I remember seeing it and I was watching it again last night, I think. And I just made the connection because back in 2017, you know, it went viral and I saw it online and I remember seeing you and and just your raw emotion. I don't know if it was anger or fear. Mm -hmm. And I remember my heart going out to this woman that I didn't know. And thinking that, you know, God, that could, that could happen to any of us. We could mm-hmm. be standing there fighting for our lives in front of a person who's supposed to be representing us, trying to get him to save our lives. And he just mm-hmm. doesn't care. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the connection I made, I literally just made this connection yesterday that, that the person I'm talking to right now who I scheduled this interview <laughs> with was that woman. And I was like, Florida's like, that's the same person. And, and maybe I'm an idiot. <laughs> I was like, that's that Laura. I didn't realize it. So I just have to say now that I have you here, thank you for that. Thank you for your activism. And thank you for doing that and standing up for not just yourself, but for everyone. Thank you. And there were so many of us that stood up. And that's why we still have the Affordable Care Act today is 
all of the people that were telling their stories and talking to their senators. We made it impossible for them to ignore us. It was a close thing. It was a really, really close thing, but we won. Yeah. And, you know, for the listeners, I just have to close out um, Senator Heller's story because (laughs) in 2019, I think he was unseated, right? His seat was Mm -hmm. flipped. A woman won his seat in 2019. Mm -hmm. It was um, um, Senator Rosen. What? Senator Jackie Jackie Rosen, Rosen. I think. Exactly. She, you know, flipped his seat and he is no longer the senator. Right. Uh, Dean Heller is no longer a senator. And Corey Gardner is not a senator either. Excellent. Excellent. That's a, that's a great way to end that story, at least. So now to the present with the Biden-Harris administration. Throughout Biden's campaign, he made a lot of promises to expand the ACA, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about what you think about that in relation to what you saw during the Obama administration around, you know, just introducing the ACA. Mm -hmm. Well, so far, President Biden has made a good start. He signed an executive order that established a special enrollment period so that people can sign up for health insurance from February 15th to May 15th on the federal exchange. And most of the state exchanges have followed suit because some states like Colorado, where I live, have their own state exchange and they're following the same dates. And this means that millions of Americans that don't have health insurance have another opportunity to sign up instead of having to wait the entire year. So that was one thing he did. Another thing he did with via executive order is directed federal departments to stop attacking Medicaid and uh, healthcare in general and work to uh, expand instead of uh, taking that away. So there aren't necessarily immediate effects, although this means that CMS will do things like no longer approve work requirements and so on, which are an excuse to take healthcare away from people that desperately need it. Uh, But there are more bills that are being talked about. Congress Lauren Underwood has a bill to make the Affordable Care Act more affordable because right now, if you if you make a little bit too much money, you don't get any help with uh, tax credits for premiums. You can you make just a little bit too much. There's no help for you, and so taking away the income limits so that no matter how much you make, you don't pay more than 8.5% of your income on health insurance premiums. So that will help uh, many more people. And it might become a part of the uh, stimulus bill that's being talked about right now. I hope so, uh, because that's also something that's really needed for people that are uh, priced out of health care right now. Well, well, I hope they make that bill a priority because that would be a huge, that would be a game changer, actually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I personally think that extending the sign up period for four months is a huge deal. I mean, that's a lot of time because I was trying to scramble and make sure that everyone that I knew who didn't have health insurance Mm -hmm. signed up before the the original closing date. I think that was sometime in January. So that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just saw something today, a uh, Urban Institute survey results from September. And many adults that don't have health insurance aren't even aware. Uh, Only about half of the uninsured adults that were surveyed had heard a lot about the marketplace. And uh, almost half of uninsured adults had not looked for information because they were concerned about cost. So that's why it's so important to go to healthcare.gov and check it out because it might be more affordable than you think. A lot of uh, adults are eligible for a low cost or even a free plan. So in regards to what the Biden-Harris administration laid out for their plans for the AC, 
YMCA in their agenda, because I remember one of the things that stood out to me is that they wanted to expand it generally, but that's pretty mm-hmm. broad. Is there anything that's that's promising to you that you're looking forward to in that expansion? Well, uh, so uh, helping people with the affordability piece where people make too much money to get help right now. Uh, there's also some glitches in the law that need to be fixed where if one family member is eligible and another is not, uh, they, they don't get uh, tax credit help. Uh, but what's really important to look at is all of the states that refuse to expand Medicaid, which means people uh, at the very bottom, they don't make enough money to really be able to afford health insurance at all, but they aren't eligible for Medicaid either. Uh, Those states include Texas and Florida and Georgia and North Carolina. So millions of adults in these states should have access to Medicaid, but those states just refuse to expand it because of their conservative leadership. And I just read that they are looking at doing ballot initiatives in Florida, Mississippi, and South Dakota. So if uh, it's on the ballot, uh, in every state that it's been on the ballot so far, even Utah, even Nebraska, it's one because Americans believe that healthcare is a human right and everybody should have it. So I'm just curious as to, because you were around during the the fight for ACA when Obama was in office and you're around to fight for it now. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about what you think about the energy around that debate in comparison to what it was like in 2008 and 2009. For instance, I was listening to an interview with Chuck Schumer the other day and, you know, he is like, he's got his boxing gloves on, like he's not going to take anything. Mm-hmm. But I remember he was saying that, you know, back when they were fighting for Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, you know, back, you know, in the early aughts, um, that... You know, Democrats went in kind of naive. They thought mm-hmm. that Republicans were willing to work with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so they didn't go as bold as they could have, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, the ACA was less, you know, wasn't as bold as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and I don't know how you feel, but I feel like this time it's different. Like I think that people are, Democrats specifically, are less naive and they're going to, you know, fight for more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucy can only snatch away the football so many times. <laughs> I mean, people have heard the Susan Collins song and dance so many times. And it, enough people that are working in the policy realm right now saw what happened last time around and know that the Republicans are not negotiating in good faith. They care about deficits only when they're not in power, but they're more than happy to give away trillions in tax cuts to the billionaires when they are in power. So they don't actually care about deficits unless Democrats are in charge. And in terms of health care, what they say privately and how they vote are two different things. So privately, they'll say, we'll negotiate. We all want to make health care more affordable. We can work together. And then when it comes to voting, nope. So I think enough Democratic leadership people have learned that they are uh, not honest that they are not trustworthy and that we shouldn't hold back trying for a bipartisan solution that will never come. Right. And I think more people should talk about the fact that, you know, during, you know, all during the Trump administration, they were promising to replace the ACA with their, you know, magical health care plan, which never came to, we never saw this health care plan. It never came. And we should, we should remind people of that, that they have no interest in giving people health care. None. Right. I mean, you can see the one thing that they pushed through with reconciliation, the thing that Republicans cared the most about was tax cuts for rich people. When push came to shove and they could only do one thing, that was the thing they did. And healthcare, they just don't care. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that another thing that's going to be a game changer is unfortunately COVID, right, in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because 
Another thing that we don't talk about enough is the fact that even though, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have recovered, mm-hmm. you know, there are indications that the recovery isn't a full recovery. There are going to be some long term, sometimes debilitating changes in a person in their health care mm-hmm. that we're going to have to address. So we're going to have to have universal health care in some form. And, you know, Republicans can't just sit on the sideline and give tax cuts to the wealthy. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just reading yesterday about a new survey that showed that people that had that had recovered from COVID had a higher than average uh, incidence of diabetes. So that's something else, perhaps a long haul COVID symptom is that it can trigger diabetes in uh, previously healthy adults. So uh, there are so many things about this disease and its effects that we don't even know yet. But uh, for some number of people, it is going to have lifetime effects. There's a Supreme Court decision that's coming down. Are you familiar with that? Can you tell me what that is and what's happening? (laughs) Okay. Wednesday, February 3rd, Supreme Court is going to announce some decisions. It's unclear how many and what they are about. Uh, Many people are speculating that one of the decisions will be about the Affordable Care Act, that the timing of this is because they want to release their decision before the special enrollment period starts, which, which is February 15th, which is coming up fast. So People are speculating, but nobody knows whether the ruling will be tomorrow, and nobody knows whether that ruling will be good or bad. They could declare the entire Affordable Care Act unconstitutional. They could declare parts of it. They could kick it back to a lower court. During the hearings, it sounded promising. The justices sounded skeptical of the arguments of the people that were trying to tear down the ACA, but we really have no idea how they're going to rule until they rule. And we have no idea when they're going to rule until they rule. You know, I may have to have you back on to talk about that ruling, you know, once we know, especially given what that could mean for people with pre-existing conditions, including the people who have long-term health issues following, you know, having COVID. You know, many of these people would be uninsurable, I'd imagine. Many people like me uh, are uninsurable without the Affordable Care Act. No insurance company would cover a cancer survivor if they didn't have to. So if the Affordable Care Act is taken away, up to 135 million Americans with pre-existing conditions could be vulnerable. It could mean the return of annual and lifetime limits, even if you have employer-based insurance. It could mean kids are kicked off their parents' insurance. Uh, They don't get to stay on until age 20. It could mean the things that we take for granted, like free preventative care, free annual exams, uh, free mammograms, that those things would all go away because that is all built into the ACA. Wow. Well, Laura Packard, I'm so glad that I finally met you virtually, at least. I'm so glad. And and thank you so much for fighting for everything, fighting for healthcare for everyone and everything that you've done. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you and uh, look forward to hearing hopefully good news from the Supreme Court.